Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Mist Home Museum of Mystery, Morbidity, and Mortality. This audio tour guide will be your constant companion in your journey through the unknown and surreal. As you approach our exhibits, the audio tour guide will provide you with information and insights into their nature and history. Do not attempt to interact or communicate with the exhibits. Do not attempt to interact or communicate with the audio tour guide. If you believe that the audio tour guide may be deviating from the intended tour program, please deposit your audio device in the nearest incinerator. While the staff here at the Mistone Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality do their absolute best to ensure the safety of all visitors, accidents can happen. The museum is not liable for any injury, death or poor phone service that may occur during your visit. Enjoy your tour and good luck. Oh, mind your step there. If you'll look down towards your feet, you'll see a rusted iron grate set into the floor through which you can see nothing but darkness. The gaps in the grate are just about wide enough to fit a hand or arm through, but not much else. At one edge of the grate, there is a gnarled old hinge, and at the other, a heavy old padlock. But that's just for show. We don't need a lock to keep you out of places you shouldn't go. Although you certainly wouldn't want to find out what's on the other side. Also, please don't touch the grate with your bare hands, as it's very old and rusty, and tetanus shots have been known to cease working inside the museum. This is the reason it is prohibited to go barefoot inside the museum. Well, one reason. Long before it was an unconventional exhibit inside an unconventional museum, this grate was the sole entrance to what is known as an oubliette. And it was specifically an entrance, not an exit. It was located in the ceiling of a cell built into the earth, and it was only ever opened so that prisoners could be thrown down and forgotten about. The oubliette was part of the palace keep of a powerful kingdom built into the courtyard where the only visitors it received were guards, and they were there only to toss either prisoners or bread through the grate. The oubliette was where the worst of the kingdom's enemies were sent, and they were sent there to suffer and be forgotten. No pardons were ever given, no bodies were ever retrieved. There were many rooms within the oubliette, it was an uncommonly large example of the form, containing many prisoners. But nobody was quite sure how many rooms, nor how many prisoners there were. It had been built long ago, and the details of its layout and the prisoners who'd been sent there had been, perhaps intentionally, lost to time. It was a place with a single purpose, to make it as if people had ceased to exist. 
And then one day, somebody who had been plunged into the oubliette to be lost and forgotten needed to be remembered. These specific details are somewhat tedious. Suffice to say, the kingdom where the oubliette was located was at war with one of their long-term rivals and had recently captured a prominent heir to their enemy's throne. In a fit of spite, the king had the captive prince thrown into the oubliette to be forgotten. Believing that victory in the war was nearly theirs, and hoping to destroy his rival's legacy. Then, unexpectedly, a critical supply line collapsed, and the king's army was cut off far from home. Plans fell apart, and a victory that had seemed certain suddenly seemed unlikely at the very best. On his advisor's insistence, and much to his chagrin, the king conceded that the time had come to sue for peace, and the best bargaining chip they had was, of course, the heir to the rival throne. For the first time in the oubliette's long and miserable history, a prisoner needed to return from the abyss. A group of the king's finest soldiers was assembled, and tasked with venturing into the oubliette to find the prince and bring him back to the surface. They didn't know precisely the layout or the number of prisoners alive down there, but their objective was simple. Get in, find the prince, get out. It was not simple. Five soldiers clad in armour and carrying swords in their hips and flickering torches in their hands pulled open the rusted grate and flung a rope down into the darkness. It was fifteen metres from ceiling to floor, and the light from the sun didn't make it all the way down. As the coil of rope struck the stone floor, the soldiers heard the echoing sounds of stagnant water splashing, and something scrabbling away along the stone floor. The five of them slowly lowered themselves down into the dark, as their comrades closed the hatch above them, bolting it shut as the soldiers' boots splashed down on the damp floor of the oubliette. The first thing the soldiers noticed was that the scrabbling sounds they had heard were not those of curious prisoners as they had assumed. It was rats, scurrying away from the sudden intrusion of light into their dark lair. Looking around at the ground, the soldiers could see why the rats were so attracted to this area. The remains of the food that the palace servants tossed down into the oubliette for the prisoners lay all around them rotting and gnawed at by the vermin. The stench was powerful. It was a fact that went mostly uncommented on, that the area around the oubliette's hatch was home to an unpleasant odour, and this was seemingly the source. Nobody had ever wondered why, of course, as it was a dungeon for the worst the kingdom had to offer. Of course it was unpleasant. It would defeat the purpose of such a place if it wasn't. But the soldiers couldn't help but wonder why there were no prisoners there to greet them. No wretches attempting to lunge for the rope or insist that they were innocent. Instead, the soldiers were alone, but for the rats and the stench. And as the rope was pulled up behind them and three of the soldiers ventured out into the passages, leaving behind two of their comrades at the entrance, the odour only grew worse. They quickly found out why. Every passage they explored, every room they found was encrusted in filth. A repulsive mixture of bodily waste and the occasional rotting rat carcass. It wasn't as though the men had been expecting any level of hygiene. 
that this was a different level entirely. The whole place was like the worst, most putrid sewer in the world, and they still hadn't seen any sign of the prisoners. The soldiers called out the prince's name as they walked, inspecting every nook and cranny, but no voices called out in response. The only sound they heard was the scrabbling of tiny claws and the shrieking squeaks of rats in the distance. One of the men, however, insisted that he could hear voices among the squeaks and hisses, though he could not tell what they said. He returned to the entrance where he complained to his comrades that his head had begun to ache, and reported that they had seen no sign of their quarry. The watchers above offered to send down a rope to get him out, but he insisted he was fine, and that he could take over the duty of watching the entrance, so the other two soldiers left to join the search while he remained in the entrance chamber. The details of what happened in the oubliette become less clear at this point. Roughly an hour after the grate was shut behind them, other members of the King's Guard called down to the men in the oubliette, asking how things were progressing. They received no reply. None of the five men who had gone looking for the prince were ever seen again. They did not return, nor did the larger force who went down looking for them the next day. The only details of what became of them that museum researchers were able to glean come from notes left by a soldier who happened to be literate and who brought his diary down into the oubliette with him, seemingly out of fear that he would simply disappear like the first group had. Or perhaps he was a member of the first group. The details are a little hard to pass, partly due to the damage wrought upon the diary over the years, and partly due to what seems to be a deteriorating mental state. One note mentions being sent down into the dungeon to search for someone, whereas a later one mentions that the writer had only just found the journal. Both comments are clearly written by the same person. It is clear that, not long after they entered the oubliette through the grate at your feet, the soldiers had no memory of how they got there. The rambling notes indicate that the soldiers became disoriented down in the passages of the oubliette, fighting amongst one another and wandering aimlessly, their goal of finding the prince and their lost comrades a distant memory. The only thing they found was the rats, and while at first the rats ran from the soldiers and the soldiers avoided the rats, before long they simply coexisted, down in the dark. They ate the same scraps and lived in the same dank, dark tunnels. The writer of the journal mentions that they put out their torches as the bright light hurt their eyes in the dark, but the notes continue despite the fact that they must have been written in the pitch black, although they had noticeably poorer penmanship. Much as they had once thrown men down into the darkness to be forgotten, it appears that the soldiers were now forgetting the light, and who they had once been. Meanwhile, in the palace above the oubliette, the king grew impatient and fearful that the prince would not be recovered, and that his enemy's wrath would come down upon him. He ordered more men to journey into the oubliette, but when he saw them hesitate, he flew into a rage 
lambasting the soldiers for their incompetence. He seized a torch and ordered the grate be opened so he could venture into the dark himself to find the prince and save his kingdom. But as the men heaved open the rusted grate once more, a sound echoed up from below that no contemporary source described. But whatever they heard, it struck such a fear into the king's heart that he immediately ordered the grate shut and sealed and paved over, and that the oubliette itself, not just its inhabitants, was to be forgotten. The final messages in the journal are largely incomprehensible. The most notable part, perhaps, is a change in the author's pronouns. There is no longer any mention of I. It is only we. We search, we feed, we grow. Beyond that, there are few real narrative details. What little there is, is more like descriptions of sensations, wet stones under bare feet, the smell of mud, the taste of flesh. The final thing that was written in the diary before it was lost or discarded, lodged under some stones, not to be found until museum staff excavated the old oubliette centuries later, appears to be a drawing, a roughly symmetrical geometric shape made up of a series of arcing lines emanating from a central point. It looks somewhat like a mandala, albeit a rather shoddily made one. At first, researchers were unsure what to make of it, but they now believe they may have found an answer. If you wouldn't mind, please step carefully around the grate and take a look at the object on the wall to your right, just a little further down the hall. This rather grisly artifact is known as a Rat King. As you can see, it is composed of the desiccated remains of a dozen rats, the tips of their tails knotted and interwoven together. They appear in folklore in a number of regions, typically seen as an omen of bad things to come and it is unclear whether or not they are naturally occurring. Almost certainly not all Rat Kings are quote organic unquote, as hoaxes are easy to make and pretty much expected when it comes to artifacts as strange as this. But similarly, the possibility that they could be naturally occurring also cannot be discounted. Suggestions of how this could happen usually involve the rats accidentally getting adhesive agents on their tails and binding them together in their sleep. Simply a bizarre accident of the sort that can happen sometimes in a world as complex and strange as our own. And then there is the third option, in which the rats bind themselves together intentionally, for some unknown purpose. This Rat King was not found in the Oubliette, however because in the remains of that dungeon, long after the king and all his men were slaughtered by their enemies out of revenge for the lost prince, long after the kingdom had fallen to ruin and the castle had fallen to rubble, long after the king's name had been forgotten, not a single rat, nor even the remains of one, could be found. Just miles 
and miles of tunnels, stretching on and on beneath the earth, burrowing away and away and away. Looks like we're coming to the end of the toadstools. Yes, the area up ahead looks much clearer than anywhere else we've seen before. It does feel odd that this place has so many discrete biomes in such a small area, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not an ecologist or whatever, but it certainly feels different to most other places I've been. It certainly feels different to how most places have been described to me. Hmm. Wait, where's the beast gone? It was just up ahead. Anyone got eyes on it? I think it saw something off over... Oh, here it comes. It's got something in its mouth. I, uh... Oh, dear. Is that it? That's one of those things you like. Ah. Yeah, uh... Jackalope. Humans are too shy to catch them, I figure. So I saw one and grabbed it for you. Do you like it? Is it... Yeah, it's dead. It should keep until supper time, don't worry. You can cook it if you want, but they're all right raw if you... What's wrong? Nothing. It's very thoughtful of you. I do something wrong? No, it's fine, it's just... I think he probably would have preferred if the jackalope was alive rather than dead. I saved him the effort. Well, I mean... It's fine. It's a very nice gesture. I guess it... Probably tastes better than our rations. Well, there's a whole bunch of them over this way. Give me a minute to... No, no, no. (laughs) That's fine. We're trying not to affect the local ecosystem too much while we're here, so one will do. Oh, okay. I won't mention this to the head of retrieval, don't worry. (laughs) Thanks. So you can be in lots of places at the same time. Is that right? I... Kind of. It's more like... So I can be downloaded into technological devices, and when I am, they become part of my body. So it's not that I'm in multiple places, I'm just spread out. Uh, Like, my body is all those different machines, and they don't have to be close to one another. Does this make sense to you? Not really. I mostly just roll with it. Doesn't it get confusing, though? You're in other places right now talking to other people. Sounds like it would do my head in. Well, at first it was difficult, but I got used to it pretty quick. And the processing power from every new device gets added to my network, so in a way my capacity expands with my perception. Yeah, still doesn't mean a thing to me. Do you have, I I don't know, a, a place that's your main place, though? You're all spread out, you're... you're body is all these different things. How do you know where you begin or end? Well, I... I guess I've always got the museum. Oh, yeah, yes. You said something about that before. What museum was that again? Well, it's called the Mistome Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality. (gasps) That's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? I actually think it nicely encapsulates the tone of the museum and its contents. I've already forgotten half of it. Same. It, it's the Mistome Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality. Right. And that's you. No, I'm the audio tour guide 
for the museum. I'm not the museum itself. Right. Except you also possess this wrist comb. You're, you're downloaded there, or whatever you said. Well, actually, the museum is where I get downloaded from. Oh, so that's where you start out from, and everything else is an extra. I disagree, but I can understand how... So you are the museum. No, 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 I... <laughs> okay, that'll do. Guide, you've got some learning to do about socialising in general. Oh. Oh. Y- you were messing with me. <laughs> Just a bit of fun. I think we've gotten close enough for that, huh? I... Sure. Okay, that actually was pretty funny. <laughs> That's the spirit. Now how about another story? Okay, sure. I know one. Okay, guide. I'm ready to begin. Very well. Let me know if you'd like to pause or take any of this again. No, I I don't think that... We'll be doing this in one, guide. One take. I may ramble, I may go a little off topic, but not talking about this twice. Yes, ma'am. Recording. Approximately seven months ago, the Mist Home Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality entered a state of lockdown. This was a generalised alert across the entire museum, including the public area, the staff-only area and the security area, allegedly in response to some kind of alternatural event. While it is entirely possible for an alternatural event to affect any part of the museum, it is highly unlikely that one could ever impact all areas of the museum at once, not least because the security department is phase-shifted from the rest of the museum and, and laid over the top of it, allowing for security officers to respond to alerts throughout the rest of the museum with a, a greater speed than would otherwise be possible. Now, the, the fact that this event was affecting the entire museum at once did not become clear until well after all staff and patrons had entered the shelters, with the exception of one Officer Brooks in the Auxiliary Security Monitoring Station and the Clockwork Mother in the public area. Had we known, we might have behaved differently, might have instead investigated further and discovered that Officer Brooks had, for unknown reasons, enacted a false lockdown throughout the museum, seemingly in league with a being known as the man with a voice like chocolate and coffee and honey all at once. But protocol dictated that we all enter the shelters. Doing so saved our lives many times in the past, so we had no reason to hesitate. So all staff and patrons throughout the museum entered the shelters and we didn't return to the museum for roughly six months. Nobody had a good time in the shelters. Supplies were meagre, food consisted of nothing but frozen meals and the facilities were insufficient. It was cramped and deeply unpleasant in just about every regard from the beginning and we were trapped in there for several months before the glassways opened and we were able to leave and explore the worlds on the other side. Though... That wasn't without its troubles too. A number of people died in the lockdown. 
whether due to medical conditions that the shelter's first aid kits could not treat or due to creatures or phenomena beyond the glassways or by drowning the instant the glassway opened, letting in torrents of water from the other side. But it will be difficult to argue that anyone had a worse time than the members of the security department. Now, the security department's alternatural shelter is, was, much the same as every other alternatural shelter in the museum. It was slightly larger to accommodate the entire security department of 63 people. To clarify, while the department is quite large, it only requires one shelter due to the fact that officers are able to move around quite quickly via... Actually, that's too complicated to get into right now. Look, suffice to say, when the lockdown began, the people of the security department entered the shelter and awaited further instructions on how to deal with the event. And when no such instruction came, they were trapped inside like the rest of us. Around a week into lockdown, their refrigeration unit broke down. Nobody in the shelter had the requisite skills to repair it, even if they'd had the necessary parts. They had supplies to last them a full year, but with all of it defrosted, it, um, it became inedible by the end of the second week. The stench, of course, adding to the unpleasantness, although it, um, it pales in comparison to what came next. With no food, things deteriorated rapidly. Tensions rose, with the head of security struggling to maintain order. Conflict was common in the alternatural shelters during lockdown. It it was a difficult situation. There simply wasn't anywhere for people to go to avoid one another and cool off. But in security, there was no food. And security officers, they're, they're physical people, you see. So fights broke out and... Well, it's unclear from the interviews with security officers who dealt the first killing blow, nor who was the first to die. It was several weeks into lockdown. I understand it was a complex situation and and they prefer not to think about it, but once it happened, once there was a, um, a dead body lying on the ground in the shelter with all those starving people, well, suddenly there was meat. Some of the more desperate and, well, unhinged officers went right for the body, ripping it apart with their bare hands. Others became involved, either attempting to stop the madness that they were witnessing or simply joining in now that the seal had been broken. It became an orgy of violence, with over a dozen dying at the bare hands of their co-workers, their friends, and um, swiftly ceasing to be either but a a hunk of meat to be eaten raw. um, I'm sorry. After this um, first incident... One would hope that perhaps the head of security would bring an end to this madness, but instead he systematised it, I suppose you could say. He established rules. 
dictating how and, and when his fellow security staff would be slaughtered for meat and devoured. Every few days they would draw lots. One of the officers had brought in a pack of playing cards in a flagrant breach of regulations. So the head of security drew a card from the deck and read it out. And then he would shuffle the deck and deal a card to each officer present. Then the officer who received the wrong card, well, I am assured it was quick. I cannot speak to the truth of that statement. And um, they would repeat this until there was enough meat for everyone. And And then when they got hungry enough, usually a week or so later, they repeated it. I wish I could say that this barbarism abated when the glassways opened, but it did not. Whereas some of the other shelters opened into forests, plains, or other various locations where the occupants could forage or even hunt for food, the glassway in the security shelter opened to a beach, the other side of the glassway appearing in the mother of pearl on the side of a huge clamshell, one of dozens that rested in the sand empty and dead. Nobody from outside of security had traversed that particular glassway for obvious reasons, but the officers that have been interviewed describe it as pristine, beautiful, endless, and devoid of any life whatsoever. No fish in the sea, no crabs in the sand, no gulls in the sky. No sign of any more of the creatures that had left the enormous shells behind, nothing. The beach stretched off into infinity in three directions, and the sea calm and still all the way to the horizon in the fourth. The slim sense of order that the security department was maintaining up until this point could not withstand this this cosmic cruelty. The idea that after two months stuck in this horrid, cramped, blood-stained shelter, they could finally escape, only to find a place with no food, no shelter, nothing at all. Well, it, um, it broke the remaining officers. You see, up until this point, killing had only been done out of anger, or for food, or awful reasons, but reasons nonetheless. But on the beach, they simply killed and killed until there was only one man left alive, the head of security. He was the strongest and the most capable of all of them and he used that to his advantage to outlast them all. He was the only member of the entire department to survive until the end of the lockdown subsisting on the flesh of his dead subordinates, which he preserved by drying in the hot sun over the beach. Uh, We believe that he, he spent most of his time in the shelter out of the sun in the subsequent months. It, It didn't matter in the end. If he wasn't in the shelter when the mirror broke, he was brought back when the guide found the wish engine and brought the lockdown to an end, opening the shelter door at long last. And bringing all the members of the security department who had died at the head of security's hands back to life. Suddenly, 62 dead security officers found themselves alive and well. 
in the shelter that had once been their prison. Caked in their own blood, some of their bones still piled up against a wall, and they saw the head of security standing there, bewildered, a little bit of flesh stuck between his teeth. The head of security was the <clears throat> the last person to to die in the alternatural shelter, torn apart by his subordinates either as revenge or simply because they no longer knew anything else. After the lockdown was lifted, the absence of the security department was swiftly noted by myself and and other members of staff. The clockwork mother, the only member of the security department to be found, was sent to investigate the department as she was the only one with security clearance. It wasn't until she personally escorted me to the security department that I truly accepted what she was saying. scratch that I, I, I still don't believe it not really how, how could I how could they how could they the surviving members of the security department were relieved of their duties and detained until we could figure out what to do with them the events described herein are a stain upon the museum's history and at the risk of editorialization they will not be a part of of the museum's history and they will not be discussed again if it can be helped <laughs> end of report that must have been very difficult ma'am you did well thank you guide Th- thank you i um i appreciate that are there any alterations you would like me to make to this report before i run the final mix down no i covered everything i'd um i'd prefer this was a thing of the past if i'm honest right Of course. Yes, ma'am. Guide? Uh, yes, ma'am. Look, I know you're always here, that that you're part of the museum now, but I've gotten to know you over these last weeks. I've already begun to pick up on your idiosyncrasies. Oh, I see. I can tell the difference between when you're around and when you're lingering. Oh. Is there something you'd like to ask me, Guide? No, it's fine. Uh, It's just... Well, yes, actually, there is something. What is it? Well, it's... It's just a little thing. Well, not that, but... You know, you wrapped up the story pretty quickly, and I understand why. It's horrible to think about what your friends went through, what they did. But, well... Well, I I think you may have missed something. Oh? What's that? Well, you mentioned that the surviving, um, well, revived, really, uh, members of security were detained, but you didn't say what happened to them, where they are now, what was, what was well done with them. And I know, I should know, I'm the museum, I should know what goes on inside of me, but come to think of it, I actually don't know what happened to the security department that... There was a lot going on. I guess it just slipped me by somehow, so... That'll do, guys. You're mistaken. I I didn't miss anything. It is accurate to end the report by stating that the revived security officers were detained. Oh. Oh? They were detained.
and they're still here. If you enjoy the Home Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality, please consider supporting the show via Patreon at patreon.com slash domgilfoyle. You'll be helping to make sure the show keeps going, not just by supporting me, but also by giving money to go towards equipment, software and hiring actors. Patrons of all tiers get access to an ad-free feed and access to new episodes a week ahead of the main feed, and you'll also get access to some bonus content. Everyone who subscribes at $10 or higher will get to have their name read out at the end of the next episode that gets released. This episode's wonderful supporter is Spooky Archivist. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay safe out there. The Misto Museum of Mystery, Morbidity and Mortality is written, produced and performed by Dom Gilfoyle with the help of That's Not Canon Productions. This series was produced on Aboriginal land and we recognise the strength, resilience and enduring legacy of the Yagara and Turbul people of this land. If you'd like more Mistome, please subscribe and like the Facebook page where more content is occasionally posted and where you can get in touch with us. The following is an advertisement that helps support the show's continued existence. If you'd like to support it more directly, visit that'snotcanon.com for more information.